For silence, I pray, all you sons and daughters of Heimdall, whether great or small, be you wise or foolish, weak or strong. Would that you would wish, I shall recount the deeds of the All-Father, so numerous that none could recall them in their whole lot. Before worlds were, nothing was. Before the Great Father gathered up the crude matter of creation and ordered it, there was neither field nor grass, not forest nor tree. Before the loftiest of the gods breathed his own spirit into man, there was neither air nor water. The moon had not learned his power, neither had the sun found her home. Both were nameless. The Nungagap spread like a starless night. None could say the span of this heaving gap, for there was yet not life. It was neither cold nor hot. Emptiness was as a mild summer evening. The great void yawned, convulsing with spasmodic uncertainty. How could it be that nothingness could spasm? Yet it was that a spark in that great and wasteful uncertainty illuminated a great chasm of cold. The spark erupted into the fires of Muspelheim, from whence all heat and passion comes. Such lusty things! And the light it cast was on Niflheim, whence comes all cold and despair. Such needful things! The space between Muspelheim and Niflheim began to collect a fine rhyme from the meeting of spark and frost. Spitting flame and hissing ice congealed the waters of life. Tangled shapes stirred there in the rhyme, fearsome and brooding. Great groans and murmurs filled the silence as the cosmic storms gathered between the poles of creation. From this rhyme rose the Jotun, Emir, and he was evil from the start. At the same time there rose Aldumla, a great cow. Emir grew vast from the milk that issued from Aldumla, and soon he filled all that Gnungagap was with his heaving, echoing bulk. And as for the cow, Aldumla licked away at the ice covering Emir's hide. What else could she do? It might be said that the great Jotun screamed at the issue of heat from the cow's mouth, so to the point that future generations would call him Orgilmir. Still, Aldumla licked and licked away until at once Emir raised his awful arm. There grew shapes in the frost, the seed of new life. This shape dropped away from Emir into the echoless chasm and twisted into the beautiful form of Boar. Boar would go on to form other shapes in the cold. There would be such a one named Bolthorn, whom Boar befriended. Such was the friendship that when Bolthorn's daughter came of age, she was married to Boar in quiet ceremony. Now Boar fathered a son, whom future descendants would know as Buri, and he was no less beautiful before Boar as Boar was before Emir. As children are wont to do, Buri grew up. He found a wife of his own, and by her got himself three fine sons. Odin, the oldest, was called, followed by Vili and Ve, who were no less old. Now... Now these three brothers were of one mind from the start, and in time the deeds of one would be confused for the deeds of the next. Indeed, as one great king would learn, they might as well have been the same. So it went that the three sons were in agreement. Emir had to go. The three brothers slew Emir. They let out his veins and drowned Gnungagap with his blood. Now Emir's blood, born of ice, turned to water and filled the void. The primal sea had risen. 
during this time a giant named burgelmir had built an ark and stolen away with his wife these two escaped the deluge and would go on to reform the race of giants elsewhere into the center of the primal sea they dragged emir's corpse there they dismembered him out of his bulk they formed the world what remained of the blood in his limbs and guts they drained and gathered up into the seas rivers lakes and ponds streams gullies and marshes they had skinned him alive and stretched his pelt across the round thus the lands were cut and shaped the choicest of his bones were thrust into the land and these became the towering mountains broken bones would become the hills his jawbone became the great plateaus and his teeth went on to become the great rocks and stones now they took emir's great skull which had for aeons remained empty and they cast it up into the deep where it became the firmament that saved the land from the endless expanse of space now took odin a share of light from muspelheim in the form of a scarce few sparks these he tossed into the new heavens where they became the stars some stars the gods fixed so that men could steer their courses by them and others they allowed to move of their own accord drawn in by the flickering light sun remembered her home and in her toe came moon though as yet they had not learned to time their dance and so light and day were yet to breathe new life now as the world was round the earth was flat a great mass of land amidst the spiraling sea now the gods took of emir's beetled eyebrow and cast about the earth a great burrow this would be called midgard the central enclosure in time the berg would fall it was known as the gods moved land from land and rearranged the earth to further their plans the gods took the clotted brain matter that had issued forth from emir's skull and with it they painted the sky these we know are the melancholic clouds which float about as forgotten thoughts fancies and shapes the broken memories of the victims sacrificed to create the universe now the gods took rest from their labors and they withdrew for a time to the plains of ida here they played games enjoyed each other's company and made merry this they did until they were visited by three maidens what was discussed may never be said but we know that following this odin and his brothers returned to midgard where they walked and there among the barren strand they found two trees odin gazed into the trees and saw the likeness of gods odin knew at once that these trees would be men but as yet they were found there powerless devoid of fate and meaning odin carved away at the trees until they took on the shapes of the race of man that would follow odin gave to them a share of his breath he gave them an innermost spirit which would neither wither nor die which always was and would be forever his brother hainir whom some called vili gave sense and motion and then loder whom some called ve gave quickening blood and good color then the gods gave them clothes and names ask the first man was called for he had been cut from the mighty ash tree and embla the woman was called for she had been cut from the noble elm odin gave to man the land of midgard for their inheritance the first of gifts given man should shepherd the earth and for his offering would remember the gods now odin and his brothers made way to return to asgard when they saw on the grounds there not far from where the trees had been a pile of wriggling maggots they surged toward the golden gleam of heaven erupting from the rotting earth nature hates waste the god knew 
and all in the cosmos must have a purpose odin remembered the spirits of the dwarves he had set to hold up the body of midgard he remembered nordri sudri ulstri and vestri to this memory he shaped the likeness of them from the maggots and so was born the race of dwarves the last of emir's corpse as an afterthought birthed that greedy and wicked race and as the dwarves had been maggots born of death and muck so were they compelled to return to the grime they would dwell beneath the land never seeing the golden sun but instead pining for all that glittered instead so the gods returned and on the plains of Eda they constructed their own hall so that they might watch over their creation so was asgard born born of light shining like gold they built halls and hofs and burgs there was no end to the glory that asgard built up now this was the golden age and for the jealous their glory the asia were visited by women a witch some might say her name was gulveg but the asia called her heidi heidi was infamous a woman come from the east well known among her people as a tamer of wolves she was a knower of magic and a doer of magic the sort the gods were wary of she was ever the joy of wicked people yet here she came to the halls of asgard to speak of gold she was a gluttonous thing greedy and vain and what's worse she began to stir up enmities between the aesir she abused the hospitality of the gods taking up a new name for every visit finally the course was set and after holding counsel among themselves the gods endeavored to put gulvig to the fate of all witches they burnt her alive in the fashion that one melts down gold three times the gods burnt her and three times the witch rose again eventually heidi went off and the aesir returned to their business but this was not the end of their travails one wonders where heidi went perhaps she traveled to midgard to put an end to the innocence of man as she had tried to do among the gods nevertheless gulveg had sendled signaled the end of the golden age and in her wake came an age of war now asgard was not the only place gulveg had visited she had been to vanaheim as well both the asia and vania were suspicious of one another for each suspected that gulveg has done the behest of the next it was the vania who gave into suspicion first however from away came the vania vengeful in heart and in mind the vania knew that war would come as the asia did also so they headed to asgard to preempt their strikes still odin knew that this day would come and waited for the host at the gates of asgard odin cast his spear over the host of the enemy and saw war the first war in the worlds was declared the vanir worked their terrible magics upsetting the balance of nature that the aesir had worked so hard to achieve and for their part the aesir flew to arms savage and terrible with their wisdom and their strength to guide them in the end there was no victor asgard lay in ruins smoke covered midgard vanaheim was wrecked and neither side was any closer to victory than the next it had to end the war was halted and the gods both the aesir and vania met on the plains of Idavol, regarded by both sides as holy their truce was struck up but it was known to the wise leaders of both sides that war might come again if the two warring tribes failed to resolve their differences but how could they do this they each had proud traditions and culture but could never respect the other without an intimate understanding eventually it was proposed that they exchange hostages in this way they could come to understand each other without overwhelming the next 
of the Vanir, Njord, came forward with his two children, Freya and Freya, and a friend, Kvasir. As for the Aesir, Odin allowed for his, his very brother, Hanir, who was as always of one mind with the Allfather to go with the Vanir. He sent also his friend and confidant, Mimir. The pact was sealed. The gods spat oaths into a great jar, which was then sealed. This was not the end of the tension. In Vanaheim, the pairing of Mimir and Hanir proved a delight to all the Vans, for neither could rival the wisdom of Mimir or the elegance of Hanir. However, when apart, they each told a different tale. The Aesir, it seemed, relied so heavily on counsel that on their own they were slow to act. Whenever the Vanir would ask of Hanir this or that, he was fond of saying, I shall, I shall consult with Mimir first, and then I shall give my judgment. So it was that the Vanir removed Mimir's head and sent it to Odin's doorstep. Now Odin, incensed, cradled the head in herbs and breathed life into the dead man's skull. So it was that Odin saved his friend in such sad array and relied on him for his gentle ear and steadfast counsel. In Asgard, things were no less burdensome. The ways of the Vanir seemed loose to the Aesir. Freya seemed a loose woman, free with her charm, for while the lives of the gods were long, monogamy was their way. But Freya, it seemed, had nevertheless managed to taste the lips of many gods and settle nowhere. And Freya, they noted, was a romantic, given to fancy. He had no trouble accepting the Aesir's way of life, but his mind was ever occupied with thoughts of romance, so to the point that men questioned his manhood. Often Yord had to speak on their behalf, being the older, and explain their ways. Still, in time, the two tribes did, after their steeply learned lessons, embrace peace. The Aesir and Vanir became fast friends, and as time would show, there should come a time when men would speak of gods, and they spoke of Vanir and Aesir as one. For while their kingdoms were separate, they became as one nation. Such was the beginning of the world of the gods, and as to the world of men... The gods were slow to forget their creation, and would that all the tales of the gods be told, there should be no book broad enough to contain them. Still, the children of the gods, the race of men, would remember for a time what the gods had taught. True, these years would be ages of wonder, of heroes and demigods. However, there should come a time when the impious would rule the earth, wherein Midgard love of gain and blind promiscuity should be all that there was. Magic, hope, meaning would die in ignominious death, and children should be born to homes and still feel homeless. This would signal the beginning of the end. For what is often left unsaid in the tales told between gods was that Odin knew from the beginning that a world born of fire and ice, sheathed in conflict, would eventually collapse if the balances were ever upset. Fire and ice would give way to a flood to end all life. A new earth would emerge, a new creation. Just as Midgard had risen some untold ages before, such is life, an unending tale. But between Genungagap and Ragnarok are many tales, glorious and plain, romantic and vengeful. Let it be that Heimdall's children remember them all, in the hope that their telling may hold away the Galahorn's call for another day.